Warning: This podcast contains discussions of an adult nature and sometimes a graphic nature. It's not suitable for children. Strong language and adult content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the Witch's Grim. We are going to talk about satanic panic today. Um, Lola knows quite a bit of it. She said she's got quite a few notes on it. Yeah. So, <laughs> hey guys, um, I, I I was doing research on this and I already knew it was an issue. And so I was, I reached out to Lacey and I was like, can we please, please talk about this? Um, uh, because it's, uh, it's, it's a problem. And, um, so I do want to start with a disclaimer that I am not putting down anybody that I mention in this, uh, it's including, I'm going to talk about Christians. I'm going to talk about evangelicals. And even then I want to say, I'm not putting them down. Um, Christians as a whole, great group of people, Mm -hmm. uh, Christianity as, you know, the fundamentals of Christianity, good stuff. But uh, there are going to be those sects of communities and religions that are going to be a little out there. And uh, evangelicals seem to be most often the ones that do a lot of fear mongering and stuff like that. So, so as I'm going through this, please keep in mind that this is not to bash Christianity, but this is to show the reach and this is to educate those of us who do practice witchcraft, paganism, Satanism, all of the stuff that falls under the polytheistic stuff, that um, it it is something you need to be aware of. It is something that you need to be paying attention to. This is not meant to scare you. This is not meant to uh, turn you against Christianity. This is to educate you so that you are aware and so that you can keep yourself uh, educated and safe. Um, not asking you to be fearful that when you go out that people are automatically going to accuse you of murdering things and murdering people, but that there are communities who are anti-magic and um, the satanic panic lends to that. So what is satanic panic? So satanic panic, they, they say that satanic panic took place between the 1980s and the 1990s. I'm going to get into a little bit of what led to the 1980s and the 1990s boom of satanic panic. But uh, essentially, in the 1980s, there were a rash of false allegations made against a lot of daycare centers. There was There was many, many other cases that were linked to what they call ritualistic abuse and ritualistic murders. But in the 1980s, there was a there because of the satanic panic, there was a rash of them and it it ruined people's lives. Okay, Mm -hmm. so there's many still in in prison for it and and some that possibly didn't do anything. (laughs) Yes, yes. yes. And we'll talk a little bit about that. um, And some of the modern day cases as well, that just shows you that this kind of permeates our society even today. Um, So what caused satanic panic? So first off, you have the um, Charles Manson era type of killings where Charles Manson uh, didn't actually kill anybody, but he he coerced young underage teenage females mostly into these really strange ideas using spirituality in a sense and this new age thinking in order to get them to murder people so he basically manipulated them he essentially created his own little mini cult and then had people murder others Um, then you had People like Anton LaVey, who created the Satanic Bible in the 1970s, around the same time that he created the Satanic Bible, I think it was even the same year, there was a guy named Mike Warnke who created Satan's Cellar, which you can look this up. It's really interesting. He calls himself a uh, evangelical Christian, and he created this book saying it was a memoir only for it to turn out later on to be a whole bunch of made up crap. 
And so his book came out exactly the same time as the Satanic Bible here in the 1970s. Then you had a, a, a bunch of other people. So you had John Todd, uh, Herschel Smith, David Hansen, and then you had Warnke, who all came out spouting stuff about how they grew up in satanic cults and that they were reformed satanists and then they started making up all of this stuff essentially for clout but it wasn't called clout back then it was called fame and attention and so that and then they became experts within the churches to recognize satanism so you have this this you know, these Christians that are coming forward and saying, oh, I used to be a Satanist. And then they're spouting all of this, this weird stuff. And they're claiming that they're experts and people are coming to them. And this is in the 1970s. So now people are like, oh my God, satanic cults exist. They're going to pervert our children. They're going to make them do horrible things. We have to keep everybody safe. Um, all men were linked to fundamentalist Christian movements some acting as experts and um, helping others recognize Satanism. So I'm going to get into what this actually reminds me of uh, later on, but I want you to keep in mind that these people came forward claiming they were experts and they wrote books and they created seminars and things like that to train people on how to recognize Satanism. What were you going to say? Uh, kind of like, uh, and like the, there's a one, a book called Michelle Remembers that had a lot to do with it too. Dude, that's what I'm going to talk about. Yes. Now. And it reminds me of like the witch's hammer. It's like all the stuff that they follow this stupid book <laughs> to it's bring like you these and people I are, down. It's like all over again. <laughs> it's like you and I are on the same freaking wavelength. That's what I was going to say. It reminds me of. So oh yeah, in the 1980s, I think it was 1988. Um, there was a, it might've been just 1980. There was a book published called Michelle Remembers. So this was um, published by a controversial psychologist, Lawrence uh, Pazder, I think is how you say it. And his wife, Michelle Smith. So here's one of my red flags that came up. This said patient, former patient and wife. Okay. So just to give you guys a little bit of background information, I am going to give you some insight into how problematic some of this stuff is from a therapeutic perspective, because I do have a master's degree in clinical counseling. I was a therapist for a while. So I, I, I do see some red flags here in some of this stuff because of my own training and my own education in being a therapist and dealing with children and dealing with repressed, repressed memories and so on. So um, Michelle Smith was a former patient turned wife, which means I would like to know how long in between patient and wife did that happen? Because um, there is a huge, huge, huge ethics violation there. Um, I, some states actually say how long you have to go between um, being a patient and, you, you know, because before developing a relationship and some states for ethical reasons say you can never date your patient because it creates a power dynamic uh, similar to, you know, a boss um, having a, a sexual relationship with a subordinate. There's a, there's an uneven power dynamic. So then it becomes difficult to say whether or not this person was coerced into a relationship because yeah, the like power dynamic is not evil. Uh, yeah. It's not equal. So yeah, that was one of the things that, that, that most, well, yeah, one of the things that stood out to me, the other thing is repressed memories. So, um, what you need to know about this book is, uh, later on the author and his spouse distanced themselves from this book, but it was a huge sensation when it came out and recovering, uh, suppressed memories is a huge deal in the therapeutic community. And I will tell you that after reading all about this, the interviews with children, all about this book, that it, it, it definitely had an impact on my education. Um, it had a negative impact on the therapeutic community, on the psychological community, on the, you know, psychology. Um, because now not only do we talk heavily about, you know, being able to put up those boundaries and not have relationships with clients, 
But one of the things that I was told right out of the gate before I even left school was beware of those who do hypnotism. It is actually very difficult to do it properly. And you can accidentally just by your questioning, you can pull up memories that aren't really there. So you can you can create false memories for a person through supposed hypnosis. And so a lot of the psych the from what I was told when I was going through school is a lot of the um psychology community really tries to stay away from recovering repressed memories. Not only do the studies show that it actually doesn't do anything positive for the therapeutic relationship, but that it's so easy to implant false memories that you can ruin a person's life over something that really didn't happen. So that's another issue that I have with the fact that he created this book with a patient turned wife um, using these, these um, repressed memories. And one of the things to note is that they, 20 years later, all of the stuff in the book was debunked, right? Every last piece of it was debunked. So this book came out in the 1980s and it was such a huge sensation that it actually created an entire group of copycat books that came out as well of people saying that they had been in satanic cults and they wanted to tell their stories and then their books started selling. So it, it created this fear like, oh my God, all of a sudden this is coming to light. Everybody has these these memories of being in these satanic cults, we had no idea that there was these so many, (laughs) so many that were that were hidden in our communities. Oh, my God. And um, so they started to believe that they were everywhere. And so these these books started to be like consumed by social workers and therapists and um, lawyers and lawmakers and law enforcement and all these things. And they started to be used as the essentially like textbooks. Yeah. Like textbooks on how to recognize what they call ritualistic sexual abuse, which is majority of what the satanic panic was about. There's little offshoots where it's about other things. So we'll get into that a little bit, but it was basically this book that was false claims, not real memories, all this crazy made up stuff and was used as a textbook. So what was happening was all of these people are getting educated through this false information. And then they're going out and acting as experts as well on cases and consultations. And when they're in the room with patients and stuff like that. So then it kind of created this almost like, um, there's a, there's a a phenomenon. I forgot what it's called. It's something like, something do and it's it folly folly ado and it's basically where uh one person in a close relationship like people who live together and stuff like that one person will go into a psychosis where they have delusions and they'll actually it's almost like so contagious like Stockholm to the other syndrome in a way yeah so it kind of becomes contagious so there's like these mystery stories out there where like twins go insane and then when they're separated all of a sudden they calm down and they're like we have no idea why we got so paranoid and it can happen with families and stuff. So it was almost like a folly ado type thing where these people are close knit in this community, their colleagues, their, their friends and their family. And now everybody believes that Satanists are coming to take their children and it, it kind of fed on itself. Um, so the book's popularity not only spawned the copycats, was not only used as textbook for professionals, counselors, doctors, law enforcement. There's actually, you can go on YouTube, you guys, and you can look up satanic panic training video. And you can actually find a police training video from the 1990s of a guy. And if you know anything about Satanism, it's total BS. Um, And he actually says how you can recognize a satanic ritual, how you can recognize satanic symbols, uh, how they ritualistically kill people, those types of things. Um, They also, it created seminars. So, So these people went to seminars so that they could recognize what the satanic rituals looked like to protect their children, which is very similar to the, to the witch's hammer that we Mm -hmm. were just talking about the malice malificarum from Germany from the 15th century, 
14th or 15th century. I think it's the late 14th, they, yeah. <laughs> they created the witch hunts, same type of thing. This dude wrote this okay. book with a bunch of bullshit information in it. And then it became like how you recognize Satanists. Okay? Oh, yeah. And they used it clear up until Salem witch trials. They were using it there. The Malice Malvacarum. Yeah. yeah. So this book was used for decades, just like it. Um, they, and then they also, and we'll get into this a little bit, they caused these daycares all over the U.S. and even in other countries to start being taken to court and accused of ritualistic sexual abuse. So this is how satanic panic was really, because it's affecting the children. It's not just adults. Oh my God, it's coming after our kids. Um, and it, it caused people to be sent to prison for ritual crimes with zero physical evidence. They could never find any physical evidence. And some would later be exonerated while others still sit in prison today, like Lacey was just saying, for crimes that may never even have existed and crimes that probably didn't happen. Right. Yep. Yeah. Which and led to the whole stranger danger. <laughs> yes. Like that's it when did. that was created. Yeah. Yeah. In the 1980s, the stranger danger thing. Yep. Absolutely. So it, it, there's things that still permeate our society today that was caused by these two decades. Um, and um, one of the things to note, and I learned this in school, and I just want to share it with you guys, is uh, pedophiles, usually they are killed in prison. The one thing that murderers and criminals cannot stand for is people who hurt children. So you're sending essentially innocent people to prison in a situation where they are going to be fearing for their lives in a closed container for decades. Mm -hmm. But it didn't just affect them. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So, um, Many of these cases were brought to the court after caseworkers, social workers, and others used coercive tactics based on claims from these books popular at the time. So what I want you to know about this is this is the other thing that was changed immensely in the therapeutic slash psychological psychology community is how you interview children. One of the things that was drilled into me when I was going through school is that you have to be extremely careful when interviewing a child, because if your questioning is leading in any way, then you will get a false testimony from a child. Children, they get into situations where they're around a bunch of adults. They don't know what's going on. They might be scared. They might be excited. And they are eager to please in that moment. So if an adult comes in and they are asking them questions, they are going to look at the adult's body language, tone, um, the things that they're saying, and they're going to try to make that adult happy. And they're Easily going to coerced. Yep. Yeah. So they're going to use whatever they can. They are going to say whatever they can in order to make that adult happy or in order to get what they think the, the reaction the adult wants them to give. Um, in one case known as the McMartin trial, um, there was a parent. So I'm just going to give you this one case because this is a, one of the crazier cases. Um Known as the McMartin, the McMartin trial, this was in California, um, a parent came forward and said that their child had been abused at daycare. And so um, they brought in a person to do interviews and they interviewed 400 children. And of those 400 children, 359 children said that they were abused by these daycare workers. Here's what you need to know about that case. Not only did it evaporate into thin air and they had to drop everything because there was zero physical evidence, but the person that they brought in wasn't a therapist, had never received training. She bragged about the fact that the only training she'd ever had, period, was she had a certification in welding. Oh, my hell. <laughs> what the hell? And they brought her in her and another individual and they neither one of them licensed neither one of them trained 
brought them in and allowed them to do interviews with children using dolls and all kinds of coercive in, uh, interrogation tactics. And they got 359 children to say that they had been abused in, in satanic ritualistic ways. That's scary. <clears throat> yes. So scary. And here's the kicker. The parent who brought the first claim forward later on would be diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Yep. So for those of you guys that don't really know what that means, schizophrenia is a chemical imbalance in the brain that causes you to have difficulty separating reality from something that might be made up in your mind. And paranoid schizophrenia has the paranoid factor, which means, and I'm oversimplifying it, but essentially it means that you're paranoid of things. So I actually dated a guy who had paranoid schizophrenia. He was diagnosed after we had been together and he thought I was turning the cat against him, like got abusive because he literally thought that myself and our roommate had turned the cat against him. So that's just an example. So um, what I'm saying is, is this parent probably had some type of deviation from reality in some way and thought that her child had been abused and then obviously starts questioning the child. And again, just like before, they don't know what they're asking. They're asking in a way that's like, tell me, you know, they're desperate for the answer. And then the child says, Oh yeah, I had this. And they're like, did they do this to you? And the kid's like, yeah, that's what happened. Um, so yeah, I was totally, totally blown away when I found out that they conducted interviews that was by a person who wasn't even trained even a little bit. That's insane. I didn't even know that. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so there's so, so, so many freaking cases that are out there. So just so you guys know, I mean, this didn't just stay in the United States. Satanic Panic grew. Uh, and there's actually a, a podcast you can listen to. You can actually find them on uh YouTube as well. And it's called Uncover Satanic Panic. And this woman lives in Canada. It's a Canadian, it's almost like a, a Canadian documentary done through multiple podcasts. And she essentially talks about the satanic panic that happened in a town in uh, Saskatoon, which is a section of Canada. It's in lower Canada. It's actually very close to where I was in Minot. And um, she actually interviews the cops that were involved. She interviews the people that were involved. So just to give you an idea, I mean, it sounds like, oh, it's really awful that these people got accused and they were sent to prison. But what it really did is it tore communities apart. So people were turning others in. So what happened in Canada, the, this, the brief story of what happened in Canada is just like many other places, um, there was a, a small town called Martinsville. And they had brought in a constable. She was one of the only ones working. That was a very small, like police station. And uh, a child had come in and had complained of being inappropriately touched by, uh, or the child hadn't come in. The parent had come in saying that their child complained of being inappropriately, inappropriately touched at daycare. There was these two people, a man and a woman who ran this daycare in town and they were actually, upstanding citizens up to this point. And uh, so this, this person, this woman goes in and she starts looking into it. And during the interviews, this was in the 1980s, during the interviews, uh, nobody knew how to question children. So they started questioning children. And the story started getting crazier and crazier. Every child that you would talk to, the story would get crazier and crazier. So there was supposedly children being put in cages. They were being raped. There was forcing them to drink blood. Then all of a sudden the cult had a name. It was the, the cult of the ram or something like that. And then, um, then the next thing. Bugs all over them. Yeah. The, they, yeah, that they were taken there all the time. And they started asking, what did the people wear? Were the people wearing uniforms? And all of a sudden the uniforms turned in, oh yeah, there was cops there. And so now people think that the, the police force is involved in this horrible satanic ritual ring. And it's then one big giant game of telephone. <laughs> well, just like the witch trials, it's yep. like, we believe the children. That's exactly how the, the Salem witch trials started. Two young girls 
claimed that they were harmed in some way by another person. And then that person was interrogated and that person was forced to give up other people, which is exactly how everybody started getting accused. It was exactly followed. All of these cases followed exactly the same process. Then you just have neighbors turning on neighbors. Exactly. So one of the things that was really funny and it, it actually comes up in one of the podcasts is they they made the children pick out who the cops were um, in a in a in a picture lineup, but they didn't ask the kids any other questions other than you know does anybody there look familiar to you? Did, was anybody there with you at these rituals? And so the kids would be like, oh yeah, I guess this guy was. So one guy, and this is not uncommon. These children, two hundred children in a in a town of two thousand people. That's ten percent of the town's population said that they were part of this satanic cult that had been abused by the satanic cult. 179 allegations came against this cop who had nothing to do it. He wasn't even a cop in Martinsville. (laughs) He just, he, he started asking questions about the case and they said, well, if you're so interested in the case, you must be one of them. And then they started bringing kids in and saying, Hey, in this, this picture lineup, do you recognize anybody in here? And they had him in it. And then kids started to pick him out. So it was two kids that had brought all of these allegations, this 179 allegations against him. So then one of the things that the, the, the judge did in, while the guy was in court is he said, let's bring the kids in again and let's have them do it in person and see if they pick the person out again. So again, they bring these guys in, they dress them similarly in suits, they have the lineup in person, and they tell the kids to start picking them out. The kids never picked out the cop who was essentially who was a, originally accused. They picked out a dude who was dressed really nice and he had this purple tie on. And they asked one of the boys, they said, Well, why what was your reason for picking that guy? And they said, Well, I like this tie. Mm-hmm. So kids were choosing people based on completely random yeah completely random reasons and then all of a sudden the witch hunt started for these people so this cop it was horrible for him because he had two daughters and he had a wife and his wife ended up having to quit her job because she was being bullied because he was in prison for a year waiting for his trial so his wife started to be bullied at work and people started to treat her really poorly and say things to her at work so she just ended up quitting her job his one daughter was beat up in school, like beat up in school because she was the daughter of a supposed pedophile. And so like people didn't trust anybody anymore. And these, these poor people who were accused, like even if they were exonerated or, you know, there was an acquittal or whatever, you still carry that stink the rest of your life. Yep. So one, one group was um, a guy that was accused and he was a descendant of the founders of Martinsville. And half of his family won't speak to him anymore. And half of his family still speaks to him. And he, he was, he was acquitted. He was net. He, 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 it was no evidence. Yeah. There was zero evidence. He wasn't a pedophile, but this was all part of this satanic panic. So it created something that still permeates our society today. So the reason I bring this up is because this is this hasn't gone away just because supposedly cops are not using these 1990s training videos to find, you know, ritualistic killers any longer. You have to keep in mind that in our first season, we actually covered a case in Florida where the, the police refused to share a large majority of the details of the case with the mm-hmm. public, but they blamed it on a ritualistic killing. They said that the bodies were placed in a ritualistic way, but they wouldn't say what it is. Right. And the things that kills me about this is if there is a situation where Christianity is involved and they think that the person might be cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs in a Christian way, they'll bring in a Christian to consult on it. Right. In these cases, they brought in Christians to consult on the occult. And what are Christians going to say? They're oh, going to say automatically. it's all bad. Yep. Automatically. Yeah. And so they did the exact same thing in Florida. There was a really famous case, you guys probably heard of it, about Amanda Knox. Amanda Knox and her boyfriend were accused of killing their roommate in Italy. Italy, yep. I forgot all about that. And it was supposedly for satanic ritualistic reasons. But here's the kicker. Not only was she 
was she acquitted because they, there was not enough evidence to connect her to it. But it turns out that there was a dude in the apartment when she was murdered and he was never looked into. They just automatically accused her because she acted weird during the interviews. It blows my mind. It's <laughs> crazy to me. Well, one of the things that's said about Amanda Knox's case that people had a problem with, and obviously this was done in another country. They did bring in people from outside agencies to help investigate as well. But the dude who was the lead detective on the case considered himself a modern Sherlock Holmes. So he came up with this story in his head and then he made all of the evidence fit this story, the sensationalized story. Right. So instead of following the evidence, he followed a story and then made the evidence match it. Yeah. Well, that's the work of a master manipulator. Manipulator. Yeah. And it's <laughs> you unfortunate. Make anything fit your narrative if you want. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because poor Amanda Knox has, is going to have this follow her for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. She's never going to be able to escape it. And so the, the wife of the cop that I was talking about, um, his daughter ended up changing her last name to the last name of her mom's maiden last name in order to escape it so that she could have some semblance of a, of a regular life. I mean, this is, and I'm going to repeat this. There was never ever any physical evidence found on the children in the locations the children said they had been brought to on any of the adults they were supposedly required to drink blood no blood ever found they were supposedly raped no no indications on their body that they had ever been abused right so in the case of the one in canada i will say that almost everybody was exonerated but it took decades except for two, two, uh, two people. And one of them was the son of the um, daycare owners. And it turned out he did touch two children inappropriately, but not for satanic reasons, no. not anything related to the occult. And that's two kids out of 200, 200. Yeah. Wow. So um, the reason that I'm bringing this up and the reason that I, I, I wanted Lacey to talk about her story of growing up in a Mormon home, which we had a laugh earlier today because I said, hey, I'm going to do the stuff on the satanic panic. Do you want to add anything? Maybe do from a, and it meant to be Mormon kid perspective, but instead I accidentally autocorrected it to moron kid perspective. And Lacey's like, like, who's the moron kid? I, that's new. <laughs> But I'll look him up. <laughs> so we laughed, I don't know, a good five fucking minutes about how there was a moron kid. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so basically, this is a modern day witch hunt and it is not over. So if you guys are paying attention to the news and if you see anything on TikTok, you will notice that one of the things that's talked about is that supposedly, and this was one of the things that was talked about in these seminars, is that these satanic cults are hidden, <laughs> that they are trafficking children, that they are drinking blood, that they are, they are harming children, and there's a pedophile ring. Does that sound familiar? Because that's the QAnon rhetoric that we are hearing right, right now, now in this day and age. Yep. And it is strong. If you listen to some of these people who are hardcore Trump supporters, part of the insurrection, part of the reason they wanted to murder some of those Congress people is because they legitimately believe that these Congress people are part of this big conspiracy ring of pedophiles mm -hmm. that are killing children in fearful states so they can drink their adrenalized blood. All it takes is one person. One person to say it, and it incites fear. <laughs> Automatically. Well, it, yeah, but I mean, again, it's like a modern day witch hunt. Oh, yeah, 100%. Accusing somebody that you don't like of doing these horrible things, and what's the worst thing you could possibly do? Harm children. Right. Yeah. Well, you can use uh, Wayfair as an example. One person said something about kids being in containers and the containers were named after children and that they were selling them for all of this amount of money. And then it spread like wildfire. And all of and a sudden, it must have been a child trafficking. Yeah, all of a sudden, 
Yeah. And then it turns out what, that those were photoshopped, that those weren't actually the names of the containers. Yeah. They were all photoshopped. So the reason I bring it up is because you can actually, I saw a, a TikTok yesterday, I think it was, where a guy, no teeth, was talking about, you Democrats, don't you realize that it's all evil and it's all satanic? It's, it's, it's everybody drinking those children's blood. And I'm like, <laughs> are you serious? Like, what? I was, I actually had a trainer when I was in Qatar and she and I sat down one day and, and we're just talking about occult things. Like I'm sharing, you know, some projects that I have coming up that I'm excited about. And I guess, you know, we're, we're getting into some, you know, like cool metaphysical discussion. And all of a sudden she brings up that her friend told her about how celebrities supposedly are extracting this particular compound, the adrenaline compound, it's called something from children's blood and they're actually injecting it and it's part of the way that they stay um young and healthy (laughs) yeah and i'm like looking at her like you're an educated person like do you hear how stupid you sound right now i don't (laughs) i'll never understand well get this i had to i had to block her on facebook after she was no longer my my freaking trainer, like she was a wonderful person, but she would get on these tangents about this shit. And I'm like, you're, you're an educated person. Yeah, I'm and all she, about conspiracy theories, but this is taking it too far. <laughs> and it's one thing if you're sharing conspiracy theories amongst friends, but she started to post that shit with her, you know, fake, essentially like not substantiated evidence. Uh-huh. <laughs> And then have like discussions about it and, and how Joe Biden was the leader of the pedophile ring and how could we vote for him? And I'm like, Jesus, this Jeez. took a 180. Run, <laughs> run for the fucking hills. <laughs> and so, um, so the reason I, I bring it up is because I don't want you guys to think the satanic panic has gone away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you need to be aware that this is going on and you need to educate yourself because if somebody approaches you and says something, you need to have enough know-how to be able to rebut what they're saying and shut down that conspiracy theory bullshit immediately. 180 them right out of that. <laughs> yes, because if you don't, if you aren't educated enough about what witchcraft is, about what Satanists actually practice, there's a reason that Baphomet has two children at the at the edge of his statue. It's because they value children and not as food and a adrenaline source. Right. They they are and they don't slaughter and kill things just because people are cra- there's crazy Christians the out future. there that say yes yeah there's crazy Christians out there that say that they murdered their children in the name of God we don't condemn all Christians because of that but because one person says that they killed a cat because Satan told them to do it well now all people who practice the occult are bad no right. that's not how that works <laughs> you let the fucking crazies be crazy. And you don't blame an entire religion, practice, group of people on it. Exactly. And so one of the things that I would say about this is um, this is basically a um, it's an affront against pagans. It's an affront against witches. It's an affront against Satanists. But it is also an affront against the LGBTQ community. Because a lot of the things that they were saying during the satanic panic, and obviously this is the 1980s and 1990s where, you know, being gay was not, you know, accepted as much as it is now, if you can say it's actually accepted now. Um, And so turning your children homosexual and, and raping them in the bottom was a horrible, horrible act that nobody should ever have to go through. And you must turn your children away from it because they're going to turn into raging homosexuals. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being homosexual. So shut the fuck up. Um, yeah. And that whole Wesley lady or whatever she is with trying to do fucking exorcisms through the phone. And then people saying, I do not accept this negativity. I do not claim this negativity. And it's like, just because you fucking didn't claim it doesn't mean that it's done anything. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
And the name of uh, the law, I do not claim this. Uh, in 1992, the Department of Justice thoroughly debunked the myth of the ritualistic satanic sex abuse cult. Despite this, law enforcement continued to treat Satanism as a potential criminal indicator. Period. Oh, I would also say that this is this is a movement against people of color as well. I was just gonna say that. Yep, hundred percent. Because a lot of, I mean, in the spiritual community, especially on TikTok, you got all of these um, European descendants who are like, I can practice a closed practice if I want. And one of the things that I recently saw was, and we've talked a little bit about this, I think, um, is Tom Brady just won another Super Bowl, or it was part of a team. He was part of the team that won the Super Bowl before, and then he got traded, and that team all of a sudden went to the Super Bowl again. And Tom Brady, and I think he even said it in an interview recently again, talked about how his wife. Giselle, the supermodel, does all kinds of rituals with oils and mantras and chants and crystals and herbs and all kinds of stuff, sets up altars all over the house and all over the place just before his games. And he's gone to the Super Bowl multiple times. And I saw the, the community on Instagram talking about this and they're like, well, this is great. But, you know, if that was a person of color, they would have demonized it. And I'm like, you're not, not wrong. wrong. Yep. It's unfortunate. Yep. And right now there seems to be an argument online about whether or not saying black magic and white magic is racist. And some people are like, it's not racist. It's not actually connected to that. And I would argue that it is. I would argue, I would that, argue well. that the things that usually fall under black magic are those things that are practiced by people of color, voodoo, hoodoo, and those types of things. Um, and that stuff that's practiced under white magic is typically your European centric type practices. Mm-hmm. So white magic and black magic, that is racist. It absolutely is. Yes. Yeah. They don't so, want to see it that way though. You know, they just want to. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that I wanted to get into and the reason I wanted Lacey to talk about being a moron kid. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, is, is, um, because, uh, I've seen a lot about people who belong to cults and specifically Christian related cults and talking about how the evangelical church has been really harmful during the Trump administration and talking about how Trump is a prophet of God and how we need to keep him elected and blah, blah, blah. And one of the things is, is because in evil evangelical Christianity, and we've seen it with movies like Harry Potter coming out and stuff like that is they believe that Satan is around the corner at all times, trying to trick you, trying to harm you, trying to hurt your children, trying to hurt your family, um, that, that you can't buy certain products because if it's got a ram's head on it, like you couldn't own a ram truck because it's got a ram's head on it. And that is the, the symbol of the devil and stuff like that. And so because people are basically brought up with the idea that Satan is around the corner and always trying to trick you and he's permeating our society and blah, 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 blah. Then I think that it just makes it so much easier for people to be drug in by things like QAnon. So can you speak to that a little bit for us, Lacey? <laughs> as much as you're comfortable with that is. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, and no, it, it's kind of weird because um, <clears throat> with uh, Mormons, they're very uh, secretive in all areas. Honestly, they are. And when it came to uh, satanic panic, um, it was kind of hush hush. We were, cu- you know, as children, we were kept out of all of that kind of stuff. We heard, you know, murmurs about it every once in a while. And as we grow up, we heard even more. I don't know. I, I do know that it, it was a weird time because it went from being able to just go out and do whatever you wanted to at any point in time. It didn't matter the time of day, time of night to all of a sudden everybody's freaking out and you have to be home, you know, at certain times it drastically um, affected the way that we grew up um, as in we couldn't just go out and just do whatever we wanted to do. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, a lot of things are pretty hush hush. Um, when it comes to kids in the Mormon community, they don't really talk about things. And I think that that's kind of dangerous in itself because these kids don't know the 
reality of the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. They get out of their house and get out of this bubble. And then, you know, I mean, I honestly didn't know anything about this until I was in high school and it had happened for years. <laughs> so, and, and this is again, not to, to bash Mormonism. I've, I know some very wonderful Mormon people who, and, and what I've been told from, from some of these people is doesn't matter where you go in the world, you can go to a Mormon temple and they will accept you immediately and you can feel safe immediately. You can know that it's somebody's going to take you home. You can know that you're going to be cared for. And that sounds like a really wonderful community to belong to. But um, would you say that the way that you guys are brought up and what you're taught can lead to this idea? Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. And in fact, you know, um, a lot of things are said to where it's like, if you ask any kind of questions, it's more, they'll say things like, it's better that you don't dig too deep because, uh, then you're going to start asking questions and you're just going to go astray instead of just answering the questions. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that, uh, it's just kind of given pushed to the side, you know? So it's like, you have any questions about anything and, uh, normally you're not going to get your your questions answered when you're younger <laughs> or when you're older, they would tell you, don't, don't look too deep into it. If you ask a question, well, what about this? You know, I, this doesn't make any sense. Oh, don't think too much on that. Well, why? <laughs> so, so you weren't, you weren't told cause I, I was a Catholic kid. Um, and I was told have faith. Oh yeah. All the time. Instead yeah, just of have faith and you'll know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you have faith, you wouldn't question it. Well, what happens if you're a logical person and you want to know? <laughs> I and mean, it, and I follow people on TikTok that are Christian pastors who are happy mm-hmm. to answer it and happy to give you the background on it and happy to give you the reasoning behind it and happy to give you the origins and stuff like that. And that's amazing. And I, I might've been a little more excited to be part of the Christian community had I had somebody who was like that. Because like you, I would ask questions and I would get told, uh, shut down, shut down. Faith or, um, that we don't ask those questions and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, and I'm not even saying cult mentality. Are you guys taught as Mormons that like Satan is just around the corner all the time? All the time. Yeah. And it, you're, it's almost like you're in constant fear of doing the wrong thing, because if you do this, you're not going to go to heaven. If you do this, you're not going to go to heaven. And there's three tiers of heaven. And if you're bad, you know, you might, if you're kind of bad, you might go to this one. You have to be this super awesome, amazing person that never does anything wrong in their entire life to go to the highest heaven. So and you're then, trying to get in the VIP section? Yeah, basically. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. First class. <laughs> and, and then we're taught that, you know, if you go to this highest um, heaven, that you can go down and visit the others. But if you're down here, you can't go up and visit them because you're not allowed. You can't go in there. So it's. It is totally the first class slash, slash yeah. VIP section. Absolutely. I did, not, I did not know that it was cordoned off in heaven. It is. <laughs> and Supposedly. you can see your friends partying over in the VIP section with bottle service. And you're like, I wasn't. And you're just enough. sitting over here with the juice box. <laughs> I stole that pen once. So now I get to just watch them having a good time. Absolutely. And so what were you told, if you don't mind answering, what were you no told as far as like Satan hiding around the corner and like what was considered bad and what would what would send you to the lower levels? Every, everything, I mean, even lying could get you in trouble. Every, if you were lying, then, you know, it, it was Satan's influence on you, that you were letting him in. And, um, you know, obvious things would get you to the lower levels. Like, I mean, adultery, you wouldn't go to heaven at all. <laughs> so oh, where would you go? Oh, hell. Oh, okay. I wasn't yeah. sure if 100%. they had a hell. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hell's not part of it. It's, um, it's all its own fiery pits of, you know you know, hell, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Hell. yeah. So, um, yeah, it, uh, you had to be the most, so it, with, with the way that they say it, I would literally say that even the Mormon prophets wouldn't make it to the highest heaven because nobody's perfect ever. Mm. 
So it doesn't make any sense. So the only person there would be God, essentially. That's the other thing that I think is really interesting is that you guys have prophets. Yes. Prophets. Um, oh my gosh, I haven't been in so many, many years. Prophets, uh, apostles. Um, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where do those people hang out? Um, with the prophet. <laughs> In the temple? Yeah. I mean, they have their own areas. Um, in Salt Lake, there's a whole building that's just for for them. Wait, hold on. So is there one main prophet and then the yes. apostles and they're in, there's like a headquarters? There's a, yeah. And then there's seven, the uh, Quorum of the 70. Let me look it up. It's been such a long time. I can't remember the names of everything, but yes, hold on. So basically what I'm trying to get at while you're looking that up is that, um, one of the things that you see kind of permeating the, the, the witch talk slash spiritual talk community is fear mongering and fear mongering is extremely dangerous. Um, there's a difference between saying, Hey, there's shit you shouldn't be messing with, like stay away from it, leave it to the people who know what they're doing. And, Oh my God, this really bad thing is coming. You guys, like I have this really bad feeling and this really bad thing is coming. And I think everybody else is feeling it too. And then everybody starts freaking out about this really bad thing that's coming. And there's all these signs that this really bad thing is coming, but we don't know what the thing is, but the really bad thing is coming. So we can't prove that these signs are false. We can't debunk it because this really bad thing is coming. Yes. And I think that, that, you know, that's, that is extremely harmful. And if we allow this fear mongering to happen for the witch community and the pagan community and the Satanist community, um, then we could end up being harmed as well. We could, we could go back to people thinking it's okay to burn us at the stake. We could go back to, again, that's not fear mongering. That is me saying, make sure that if people ask you questions, you have the information, you can educate them. You can say, no, that's not true. That's not what they believe, or that's not what we believe. Um, and if they hear it from you directly and you are their good example of somebody who's educated and get answers all their questions, then they will be the educator for the next person. Well, I knew a witch and she wasn't like that or he wasn't like that, you know? Yes. How do you get profit status? Is it like a tier system? Like you have to it's, recruit so many Mormons and then you get to get to the profit? You're appointed by God from the current uh, prophets on their like deathbed, basically. Oh, so it's kind of like a Pope. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there's the, the prophet, the quorum of the 12. For those of you listening, the Pope does not select the next Pope. That's usually a council that does it, but it's very similar. Just a bunch of dudes get together. And they say, hey, this guy's going to be the next pope. Yes, I see. And so let's see here. <laughs> it's been such a long time. I'm, I don't even remember all of it. The Quorum of the Twelve Apostles is the second highest presiding body in the government of the church. And then the Twelve Apostles govern over the 70. And then there's like seven. And I believe that the 70 are just another line of bishops, basically like each church has a bishop so that would be like the preacher at you know other churches which is very similar to like the like i was saying the catholic church you have yeah. bishops you have archbishops you have cardinals you have the pope yeah yep yep yeah and in the church you've got the bishop and the, the stake presidents are above the bishop and stuff like that yeah <laughs> very interesting very very interesting what were some of the things that you were told like were you were you told stuff like I've heard evangelical or former evangelical Christians talk about how there was certain brands they weren't allowed to buy because the brands were related to the devil. Were you told anything like that? Um, no, but we did stay out of stores like hot topic. <laughs> I love top topic. Maybe I that's how I became a witch. It's literally one of my favorite stores. <laughs> it converted yeah. me. Oh my God. It worked. Oh no. <laughs> But yeah, and I always love the people in there. They're always so awesome and like colorful and I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's so Great. funny. Like I worked at store. I worked at Bath and Body Works and I'm aware that I look like I drive a minivan and take my kids to soccer and shit like that. It's just how I feel most comfortable in the world. But I love people who look alternative. So every time I'd be at Bath and Body Works and somebody would come in and they have green hair and they have the cool eyeliner and stuff like that, I would make a beeline for them. And I'm like, how are you guys doing? And they were, they were probably like, this lady is way too interested in us. And 
um, because I'd be so excited. The alternative people are here. I'm like you on the inside. I just don't look like it on the outside. <laughs> I'm closet alternative. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm undercover alternative. Yes. <laughs> I've infiltrated the rest of the mom's group. I've got all the dirt. I'm a closeted alternative witch. <laughs> I just look like a Karen. I'm not really. <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah it was like I was uh Chelsea made a video Chelsea from Witch Baby Soap made a video a long time ago how she was pretending that was like a skit she was pretending to come up um to the the drop-off or whatever at her kid's school and how the other parents were just kind of giving her dirty looks and I was like I would have thought you were so cool but I would have been too scared to approach you and she's like intimidating Yeah, I was like, oh, my God. She was like, oh, my God, I totally would have talked to you. And I was like, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no. I I mean, if you had, like, like, tattoos were bad, piercings bad. Oh, my God. When I I wanted a tongue piercing so bad when I was in high school and a belly button piercing. And they would not get me one, but, like, all my friends had them. I was not friends with very many Mormons because I didn't, you know, they were boring basically. And, um, all my friends had belly button piercings and tongue piercings. I pierced my own tongue and I kept it hidden from them for like six months. That is so (laughs) dangerous. I know. I know. For those of you guys listening, there is a nerve from what I understand in your tongue. And if you hit it, your tongue will go paralyzed for the rest of your life. Yep. Yeah. Super dangerous. That's why I can still, I can still put the piercing through like halfway. Really? The way. <laughs> yeah. So I had my tongue pierced. So I got my, be- I would have been one of those people you'd been hanging out with. I got my belly button pierced when I was 15 years old. You want to know why? My mom said you have an ugly belly button. <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. So at 15, I said, can I get my belly button pierced? And she said, sure, let's go. Um, and then, yeah, my mom's mean and she's wonderful at the same time. Um, <laughs> So, and then as a 19, 18 year old, 19 year old, um, I got my tongue pierced and I still have the, it looks like I have a hole. So every once in a while I'll do a video and people are like, I can tell you had your tongue pierced because my tongue shows in such a way they can see where the hole used to be. Yep. And, uh, I came home and I hid it from my parents for a while. And then, um, my dad finally saw it flash in my mouth and he's like, are you sucking dick? (laughs) I was like, what? He's like, that's the only reason somebody gets that kind of piercing is because they want to suck dick. I was like, what the fuck? That is. (laughs) Yeah. That's something we heard too. Yeah. Only hookers and whores do that. And it's like, wait, what? (laughs) The hell no well you're not wrong <laughs> well maybe i am a whore hello did you ever think to ask <laughs> i really like the peen it's my favorite <laughs> oh my god i feel like i feel like there's you know with lds people they're so strict with so many things that the second the second an LDS kid gets away from their parents, they just go, literally, they go crazy and they just do all of the stuff all at once. They either become alcoholics in college, they go get piercings. I know the second I turned uh, 19, I got a tramp stamp, but it wasn't called a tramp stamp then, but I do have my name tattooed on my lower back. <laughs> you have your own name tattooed I, on yes, your lower back. Well, Most because my friend, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when I'm drunk and I don't know who you are. <laughs> oh my God. For those of you who can't see, like she just pointed behind herself. Oh, anyways. But yeah, no, all of my friends did. We all got our names tattooed. I, on back. I almost got a tramp stamp. It was going to be an angel. Yeah. Yeah, but I didn't have the money, so I didn't do it. Oh, yeah. Well, see, and, you know, all of this stuff, you grow up, and it is just instilled in your brain to the point where um, all of my tattoos that I have are hidden. You don't see them unless I want you to see them. Because, like, when my grandma found out about my tattoo, she, like, hit me on the top of the head, like, (laughs) 
Lacey! <laughs> she was really upset. But I have quite a few. You just can't see them, except for the ones on my shoulders now. But even now, if I go around my parents and I'm wearing like an off-shoulder top, I am uncomfortable because I just feel like they're judging me. <laughs> well, crazy. because we know from past experience, they are. Yeah. Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> yeah, my parents are hypocrites. So I grew up hearing that they never wanted me to get a tattoo and all this. They were like body piercings. You can at least take those out. It's not a big deal, blah, blah, blah. And then I got my first tattoo and I was terrified to tell my mom. So I called my mom and I tell her that I've got a tattoo. And she goes, me too. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I got a tattoo on my wrist. So my mom's tattoos all show. My mom was like, I got to be in my late 40s, early 50s. And I was like, fuck it. And she said, I just do whatever I want with my body now. So my mom has a fucking sleeve. And the, the sleeve comes up her shoulder and slightly onto her neck. So if she's wearing like a, a shirt that has like a wider collar to it. You can see the little wisp of part of the tattoo showing through. She's wearing a tank top. You can see the whole damn thing. Mm -hmm. She's got tattoo on her wrist, which is a peacock feather. She's talked about getting other tattoos. It's like, lady, you told me my whole life you thought tattoos were bad. And then I go terrified getting a tattoo and you've already gotten them. She didn't even tell me the bitch. Um, <laughs> <What> the hell? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So th and the other thing is um, I think that the, the uh, not the Quakers, the uh, what are the other ones? Amish. Yes. The Amish do it <laughs> right. Cause they are very strict religious as well. And they do room springer which allows their kids to go out and have that. I'm going to get experience. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do whatever I want. And then majority of them return from what I understand. Um, part of it is, is because if you don't return, it's really hard. You basically lose your entire family, but they do return and then they conform to that life. So yep. they give them an opportunity to get wild and then they bring them on back. Experience the world and make your mind up yourself. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. So yeah. Well, I hope that this wasn't too horrible. I I hope this was educational for you. If you guys want to look into more of it, there's a bunch of crazy cases. It's interesting. You can look up. Yeah. yeah, you can look you can look up Satanic Panic. Like I said, there's that interesting podcast called Uncover Satanic Panic. And obviously it took place in Canada, but it's still the interviews that she does. She interviews cops. She interviews detectives. She interviews those people accused. She interviews family members. She interviews Everybody she can get, she interviews. Right. Uh, well, and everybody, like, remember that this was literally only, like, 20 years ago. 20, 30 years ago. So it's mm -hmm. not that, you know, it's, yeah. But I'm definitely seeing, you know, that it is starting to come about again, for sure. Well, like I said, QAnon, QAnon is is not helping. <laughs> and you you really need to understand that a lot of these people that are supposedly, um the, 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 I don't want to say leaders of QAnon, if there is such a thing, is there the people who have started QAnon, cause there's the guy Q recently, they said that the guy Q was actually a leader of a child pornography thing with Japan. Like one of the platforms that he helped start when he got out of the military mm -hmm. was uh, a platform used for porn. And one of the biggest people who use it are, are child porn people. So he essentially assists in child porn, which is one of the things that QAnon is trying to stop. And everybody's like classic projection, <laughs> point people in the other direction away from you. And his kid turned him in. So supposedly Q runs a child pornography site. Um, and you've got to figure their ages. A lot of these guys are what the young people would call boomers. These are our parents, our grandparents, um, people who were born in the 50s. So these people are in their 50s and 60s. They would have been around. They would have been adults during yeah. the satanic panic. They would, they, this, some of this stuff they believed and probably still carried on believing even after. They just, they just didn't feel comfortable saying it in certain circles. Right. And now, and now they're feeling very empowered again and very emboldened to be talking about this stuff again and and then claiming that christianity is under attack and stuff like that and it's like no christianity is not under attack the dum-dums who pervert 
Christianity are under attack. The yes. dum-dums who use Christianity to do harmful things are under attack. Christianity is not under attack. I love Jesus. Right. He's my boy. He's my boy. <laughs> but y'all aren't. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> well, thanks for coming by. We sure appreciate you joining us. You said us. that so sexy. I thanks. know. <laughs> well, everybody knows I have a tramp staff show. now. I should totally be myself. No, just kidding. She's, she's embracing her inner tramp. <laughs> Please come back. Please join us. Thank you. Thank you for calling 1-900. Okay, for real. We need to end this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, we, we, you know, we enjoyed talking about this. And um, if you have any questions, as always, just leave us a comment. Um, we will post something about it. Well, I promise this, this time we will. I, I failed to do that. <laughs> oh, I wondered. Episode. I didn't even check. Yeah, I didn't. Yep. Mm-mm. So, but we will. We'll post about it um, on Thursday. This is going to be posted on Friday, the 12th, my birthday. And, Happy birthday. Uh, thank you. And then uh, we will, yeah, if you have any questions or anything you want to hear us talk about, um, like we've said, we will literally talk about anything. So we'd love your opinions. You, yep. We'd love to hear about a case because one of the things that we like to cover is we like to talk about cases that have happened in the past and how these cases were or were not related to the occult. So if you have a case that you're like, oh my gosh, this case is so interesting, we would love to cover it dive into it yeah absolutely just let us know all right guys bye thank you for listening to this episode we are so grateful that you chose to hang out with us head on over to whatever platform you are on and give us a review share this episode with a fellow witch who you think might enjoy it or head on over to the anchor app to let us know what you enjoyed want to hear more of or leave us an audio question that we can feature in future episodes You can also continue the fun over at our Instagram at Witch Talk After Dark. Until next time, witches and witchlings, keep making magic.